Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. We're moving into uncharted territory practically by the hour. This country and some of its most venerable institutions, from pro sports leagues to Broadway to Disneyland, taking stunning measures to slow the spread of coronavirus. Any of these projections will overwhelm the healthcare system. One of the biggest problems is the lack of testing. Americans overseas scrambling to get home, while more people inside the U.S. are hunkering down. Together, our country will survive the coronavirus and make it through this challenging time. Hi, I'm Jenny Kaplan, co-founder and CEO of Wonder Media Network, and this is Women Belong in the House. We're living in a strange and scary time. It's challenging at the moment to keep working and not fall into an endless void of corona-related news. Even before this crisis, healthcare was top of mind for many Americans. The vast majority of candidates we spoke with in season one cited healthcare as the issue that drove them to run for office. For some, the importance of the issue was underlined by personal experiences as patients or as family members of people with pre-existing conditions. Trump recently, his administration again now is arguing that it's unconstitutional for pre-existing conditions to be covered under the Affordable Care Act. I literally had people in tears, uh, particularly people whose children have pre-existing conditions of various types. My youngest daughter was diagnosed with a chronic illness, and it was something that was unexpected. But the problem was the medication that was prescribed, we later learned, required prior approval. But I fought with the insurance company for two days until I finally at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon as I realized she was not gonna get this medication over the weekend. And I was furious and kept fighting and, and got the approval. But at the time, I started thinking, what do people do? And that's when I thought, we need change. We need people who are willing to go up there, work across the aisle, and actually dig into these tough problems and figure out how you solve them. There are more than 15 medical professionals, from doctors to nurses, currently serving in the House of Representatives. For me, that's sort of comforting during this time of uncertainty. For example, Representative Kim Schreier, a pediatrician from Washington State, has introduced a bill to require all insurance plans to cover the full cost of coronavirus testing. We're recommending uh, paid sick leave. We're recommending a stimulus package that will include uh, either low interest or no interest loans uh, or grants to families that have to miss work. We need to make families whole and we need to make sure that they're not out uh, working and spreading this virus at a time when we really need to slow the spread and contain. As a registered nurse and public health expert, news stations have turned to Representative Lauren Underwood from Illinois for her thoughts and advice. 
Well, there's some basic tips to help families as they navigate throughout our communities, which include frequent hand washing, coughing and sneezing into your elbow, sanitizing frequently touched surfaces, avoiding touching your face. Now, if you feel sick, stay home if you can. A background in medicine is the most pertinent example at the moment. But throughout the 116th congressional session, representatives have used their previous career experiences to inform policy decisions. Congresswoman Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez went back to her roots to push for higher minimum wage. You may recall she went from bartending in the Bronx to a stunning victory in the congressional race. This afternoon, she mixed drinks at a bar in Jackson Heights, Queens. It's part of Ocasio-Cortez's effort to get a federal law to double minimum wage by 2024. She also supports a bill in New York that would mandate tipped workers must be paid at least a minimum wage. That's what we're talking about today. How representatives turn their resumes into action. Historically, people in Congress didn't necessarily come from a particularly diverse background in any sense, be it gender, race, religion, or career trajectory. Here's Amanda Hunter, Director of Research and Communications for the Barbara Lee Family Foundation. The foundation does nonpartisan research on the obstacles and opportunities women face when seeking office. I think that what we've seen in the past prior to 2018, and certainly in the previous decades, were mostly men who were successful in politics and often men who were groomed for a career in politics. Maybe they went to law school, maybe they clerked for an important judge. There was sort of a career trajectory that men would face to get ahead. In the past, maybe women who ran for office had to wait until their children were a little bit older. Maybe they started out at the school board level and slowly worked their way up. And what we saw in 2018 is that all of those models are now gone and we are in a very different climate. In 2018, the record number of women who ran for the House of Representatives came from a variety of different fields. That diversity has carried over to the 116th Congress. What we've seen with this 2018 class of women that were elected to Congress has been unprecedented in so many ways. And certainly the fact that women come from so many different professional backgrounds is one change that is different and the way that that is part of the narrative. And by all accounts, it seems that it's actually been a positive for many of the women. They've been able to bring their previous experience to offer more credibility. So by all accounts, it seems that many of the women have been able to keep the link to their previous experience positive and to use the whole of their experience as human beings to do their jobs in Congress. So let's look at how these women have used their professional experiences to make things happen in office. We'll start at the very beginning, building a team. For Representative Donna Shalala, that was easy. Donna serves Florida's 25th district. First of all, it's a small team. I'm used to uh, hiring a lot more people. Um, second, I, because I had spent a number of years in Washington, I understood the legislative process, uh, but I also knew the kind of team I had to have, that it, I had to have some senior people that already knew the policy issues, and I had to have a chief of staff that actually could manage a small staff. Um, the big trick was whether I could switch my head from being an executive 
uh, to being a legislator. That turned out to be a lot of fun because it basically was switching to doing a lot more substance interface with politics, which I loved. It was a lot of fun. Donna has spent her career in and out of government. I'm a native of Cleveland, Ohio, and I uh, graduated from college uh, and went off to the Peace Corps in Iran and then came back and got a Ph.D. in political science and economics at Syracuse. And I've basically been an academic most of my life with different stints in government. I spent four years in the Carter administration as an assistant secretary at HUD, Uh, Then I went back to academia to be president of Hunter College and then to the University of Wisconsin at Madison where I was chancellor. Uh, I basically um, am a scholar of politics and uh, particularly of state and local politics. After Wisconsin, I was invited by President Clinton to be the Secretary of Health and Human Services where I spent eight years followed by a stint at the University of Miami where I was president for 14 years. And then basically uh, after uh, the failed election uh, in 2016, I decided to run for Congress in 2018 and flipped a seat which had been held by Republicans for 30 years in Miami. For Representative Chrissy Houlihan, Building a team also fell into her sweet spot of business expertise. Chrissy serves Pennsylvania's 6th District. If you listened last season, you'll recognize her voice. If you didn't, I highly recommend you go back and listen to Chrissy as a candidate. One of the larger parts of my background is that I'm an entrepreneur, and I have built a lot of organizations. And so with the great news that I had the opportunity to serve our community and our commonwealth in the country came the responsibility to begin to build that team that would uh, actually you know, put life to that idea. And so pretty quickly, my responsibility was to find a chief and a deputy chief and a district director and to begin to have them be you know, anointed to be able to find the staff that would work in their, t- in their various teams as well. Chrissy has also used her business experience to evaluate how she's doing in office. We made sure that we're taking advantage of all the assets that we were offered. And what I'm really proud of is we have about a $1.3 million budget to use. Most of that budget is used in, in people, in, per, in capital, uh, making sure we have good team. And we were able to restore $1.8 million worth of value to our community over the first year. And that means if we were running a business, which I hope to run this organization like one, we're returning about 38% on everybody's investment. In the House, representatives serve on committees. Those committees are assigned, but members get to express preference, and those preferences are incorporated into the assignment process. I had to sort of look around and think, what's my highest, best use? You know, what is the best thing that I can do, given the you know, capacity and uh, skills of the class, the new class that was coming in, and the requests of the folks who were already here, to be able to be most impactful? And so I did request, uh, being on many of the committees that I'm on, Foreign Affairs, Armed Services. I'm a veteran, but I'm also third-generation military and have had, um, I have currently cousins serving in in the military. So Armed Services seemed to be sort of a natural. Foreign Affairs was something that is a really nice complement to that. And then I asked uh, specifically to be on a third committee. Uh, Most folks are usually on two. Uh, And I asked to be on small business because I really thought that there was a lot of overlap between those other two. And I did have a lot of experience that I thought would be helpful for my community and helpful for the country in small business. There aren't a ton of folks here in Congress who have uh, real 
business or entrepreneurial experience, and I think it's really useful if you've got that to offer it up. What's really interesting is is that I, I had been an educator and did work in, in education, the education space, but what was really cool to see is that a lot of the folks who came in this very, very talented class also had strong educational experience. And so I thought it was appropriate to let those folks who were, had really been in the meat in the thick of educating kids be on education and labor and let me be helpful on things like um, armed services and, and foreign affairs. Representative Abigail Spanberger also sought to serve on committees that would best take advantage of her professional expertise. So I knew going into Congress that I wanted to serve on foreign affairs and agriculture. I have a strong background in national security. I'm a former CIA officer. Uh, I served overseas, and I wanted to ensure that I was bringing my expertise and my experience to bear uh, for the people I represent. A quick note. We'll return to the importance of having a national security background when we talk about impeachment and the historic events of this session later in the season. In the meantime, Chrissy Houlihan was able to combine her experience in foreign affairs with her experience as a chemistry teacher to make a real difference in the lives of federal employees. Find out how after the break. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Honestly, that question feels almost insane right now. All of us are struggling to deal with our new normal. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's not a crisis line, it's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aids available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their websites and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Visit betterhelp.com WBITH. That's betterhelp.com WBITH. And join the over 700,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Women Belong in the House listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com WBITH. Let's return to Representative Chrissy Houlihan. By serving on armed services and being an engineer and a chemistry teacher, um, I was really concerned about rare earth elements. Those are elements that are used to um, pr- to build satellites or to build your cell phone or to build pretty much anything that uh, is electronic in nature. And rare earth element supplies are largely controlled by China and other uh, countries that that we should be concerned about. So by putting forward a concern about that and my you know with my hat on with the Armed Services Committee, I was able also to shake loose a little bit of funding by selling off one of those rare earth elements that we had an oversupply of. And by shaking loose some of that funding, was able to start a very cool domino effect of then therefore being able to use some of that funding to help pay for parental leave for federal employees. 
And so now for the very first time in history, 2.1 million people have 12 weeks of paid parental leave because of rare earth elements. Chrissy cited that experience as one of the highs of her time in Congress. She's also reached back to her teacher toolbox to deal with what she called a low, the lack of civil discourse. The level of civil discourse, the way that we treat each other, to be consistently a low. Um, and I don't mean necessarily just in Washington, D.C., but I just mean in our, in our nation as at, in general. And that, that is, is destructive to all of us and makes me unhappy. You know, the way that I try and address that in my community is uh, we really try to reset civil discourse in the way that we behave to one another. I try to do that to the degree that I can by playing my part in that. Uh, I was committed and am committed to holding town halls very regularly. Uh, I took a page out of having been a chemistry teacher where you post and you talk about your classroom norms. You know, how are you going to behave with one another when we're together in the classroom? And we do that in our town halls. We talk about the importance of um, being decent to one another. And we can, ag- we can agree to disagree without doing that in a nasty way. And we can all agree that we're all here because we care for our, our families and we love our country. But we need to be decent with one another. For those who haven't previously served in elected office, the pace and disorganization of work can be really frustrating. As you might remember from our first episode, Abigail Spanberger spoke to the scheduling challenges in Congress. Chrissy Houlihan also noted that problem. So I serve on uh, two subcommittees on one of my committees, two subcommittees on another, and three on the third. Um, And we're constantly sort of revolving around uh, going to all of your hearings and and doing committee business. And I think that it's a fairly ineffective schedule. Uh, And one of the things I suggested to the modernization of Congress, again, from a classroom perspective, is Um, When I was teaching high school, we had a block schedule. You know, you could have six different classes and rotate with, you know, five different days worth of of activity and have time for clubs and have time for labs and have time to make sure you got everything done. Congress is really no different in its scheduling. We should not end up not being present at all of the things that are happening because we can't organize ourselves into a schedule. And so that's some of the ideas that, that this office has brought forward to the modernization of Congress. For people who have served in previous elected offices, the disorganization and complications of Congress seem more par for the course. Here's Representative Catherine Clark of Massachusetts. I think it helped to have come from um, the state house. So sometimes I think I had a better sense of the pace of legislation. I see um, members who come into politics from business, and it can be incredibly frustrating. But, um, you know, that uh, of course, there are times where um, we had, um, you know, put things into appropriation bills that just disappeared overnight. And um, it just felt like it wasn't democratic, it wasn't uh, right, and there wasn't a lot I could do about it. Catherine had a more traditional ascent to Congress. Maybe my first race wasn't such a huge decision. Um, I ran for local school committee, uh, local school board, as it's called in many parts of the country. I was working uh, as general counsel for the Office of Child Care Services and really saw that need for families 
to access quality early education, but I never saw it leading to Congress. After that, I ran for state rep. I ran for state senate. And when the opportunity came up with an open congressional seat in my district, I initially said that I wasn't interested. I was chair of the Judiciary Committee in the Massachusetts State House. I loved the issues that I got to work on. And I really looked at Congress as a place that was um, knotted up and unable to get things done. But as I thought about it and I watched men starting to throw their names in, um, I decided that maybe there was room for someone who never saw herself walking the halls of Congress. Catherine decided to throw her hat in the ring to have an even bigger impact on the people in her community. She said she sought to do so by going to Congress and working with people from across the political spectrum to get things done. It's hard to build coalitions. Seeking out others with previous career experiences that align with the issues you're working on is one way to help bridge the wide and widening gap between parties. Here's Chrissy Houlihan again. So I was I was a co-founder, I'm a co-founder of a really interesting uh, group called Four Country, and it started about a year ago. Uh, it is about nine Democrats and nine Republicans. We all have served in the military before joining Congress at one point or another, and we joined together in creating this uh, bipartisan caucus called Four Country for exactly what you're talking about. Caucuses usually are, they meet or they caucus on one specific issue like LGBT issues or the environment or um, any number of issues that are very specific and narrow. Gun safety is an example. But this caucus for country, actually ideologically we have very little in common. And what we're trying to find is a couple things. One is the common ground that we can find on things that we can agree on. Um, and something like national service is a good example of that. We're you know working to push forward on the idea that we ought to have a more incentivized system to have more people participate in national service. In the military, we call it a force multiplier. You know, when you take 18 people and they've got friends in all different parts of the political spectrum and you have something that you want to accomplish, you can reach out to one of those 18 people and say, hey, do you know 20 other people that can help us, you know, get interested in national service as an example? And that, you know, multiplies the force of your strength. It's absolutely vital to build coalitions to get anything done in Congress. There are many ways to skin that cat. Next time on Women Belong in the House, we're talking about just that. How do representatives seek out and find allies in a sea of people with all different perspectives, priorities, and goals? Women Belong in the House is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch and executive produced by me, Jenny Kaplan. Special thanks to Louisa Garbowit. Original theme music by Miles Moran. To stay up to date with what's going on at WMN, follow us on Instagram at WMN.media and on Twitter at WMN Media. You can also reach me directly on Twitter at Jenny M. Kaplan. I'd love to hear from you. Stay safe and talk to you next week.